Uh, as you've heard, uh, many of you probably saw Jingle Jam was amazing, having the kids up here dancing and singing and having families in the audience. I think we had almost 500 people uh, among the five, or the, th- the five shows, the three shows come, and so there were so many guests. It was just such a fun opportunity to open our doors and invite the community to come in and hear the story of Christmas. What a joy. I mean, I hear week in and week out how powerful it is to have all of these kids run up here on Sunday morning to to bless them and pray for them and just to see how God is blessing us as a church with, uh, with children and the joy and the innocence that they bring. How many of you as kids growing up were told you can be anything you want to be when you grow up? You were lied to. I mean, it's, it's true in some ways. You can be anything you want to be when you grow up in the sense that we live in a, in a great country. We live in a, in a, in a country of freedom, and, and you can, with hard work and, and dedication, choose to do anything that you want to do. But the reality is not everybody can be anything. And so I think we have to always check our expectations about what it is that we can be and do before we set our expectations for our children that you can be anything you want to be. I think it's better to say you can choose to be the best you that you can be, and maybe there's a lot of different ways that we can help you discover what that is. I mean, if you think about it, not everybody can be a concert pianist. They don't have the, the right finger shape. I mean, I have sausage fingers. There is no way that these mitts would ever allow me to be a concert pianist. Not everybody can fi- uh, fly uh, fighter jets. They're just not geared for it. And, th- and there's, a, there's a, a process by which we figure out who's really good at flying jets. Not everybody can design a software program. Not everybody can do everything. Some of us are good at some things. Some of us are good at other things. And the question is, how has God shaped me? How has God wired me to be the best me that I can be so that I can discover what my true value is, what my contribution is to make the world a better place? And also we have to realize that in our culture, in America, where we have the freedom of opportunity and often the wealth and the resources, we can tell our kids, hey, you can be anything you want to be when you grow up. But if you think about the rest of the 75% or more of the world, they don't always have the opportunities and the resources to, to go and become all that they could be. They're limited by their socioeconomic status and by the the families that they're born into and the place of the world that they're born into. In fact, many of us, even in our own country, find that it's most often that we end up getting a job that just allows us to put food on the table and to put gas in the car and to make ends meet. And so I think often we come to life with all this hope and possibility as children, but, but as we grow and, and, and we get into the realities of life, sometimes we find jobs and careers that, that aren't all that we thought they were going to be. I mean, how many kids wanted to be professional football players when they were kids? Or how many kids were going to grow up to be president? I mean, they're wonderful dreams, and some people achieve those things, and we celebrate that. But also we have to recognize the reality that not all of us achieve such high accolades and status in life. We talked at at Jingle Jam, not everyone gets to be a Justin Bieber or a Katy Perry. 
And so what do we do with, with our lives when we discover that maybe the station in life that we find ourselves in, the career that we find ourselves working in, isn't maybe what we thought when we were kids or isn't as high as we hoped? Do, is, is that still valuable? Is that still meaningful? Many people don't really consider the work that they're doing to be a, a, a calling from God. I mean, really, we reserve that language for, for pastors and missionaries, right? They're called by God, but me, I, you know, I just am a cashier at the supermarket. That's not a calling from God. Yet I think as we look to the Bible and we understand God's view of work, we discover that work is really a gift from God. And, and it's one of those areas where we search for meaning and fulfillment in our lives, Work has intrinsic value. It's worth doing in and of itself. It also has instrumental value in that it has an an end in mind. It has a purpose for for why we do it. And I would suggest this morning that we need to regain an understanding of God's perspective on work and understand how what we do with our lives is an important part of our spiritual lives and our experience of being disciples of Jesus Christ. As we explore the the hope of Christmas this year, we've been talking about how life is a search. And and the search for life, really, in in a biblical sense, can can be focused into four primary areas where we are looking for meaning and value and fulfillment. And, And we've had this graphic up on the board where it really starts with the community that we're born into and the community that we surround ourselves with. And and out of the story of our lives and the relationships of our lives, we begin to discover who we are and a sense of our identity and how God has shaped us. And last week we talked about how how our identity can kind of be squeezed by our relationships and and the things that we want to do and we, we can lose our sense of who we are. But in Christ we discover that we are God's workmanship. We are valuable artwork designed by God out of love and creativity. And therefore we have worth and value just in who we are apart from who, who we, what, what our family has been or who our relationships are, and apart from what we do. And if we can establish that as a solid foundation, then that leads us to understand that God has shaped us each uniquely to do certain things that only we can do. And that leads us to experiment with trying different things and learning skills and finding hopefully gainful employment. And, and, and hopefully we, we, we don't hate what we end up doing for work, Right? We can find something that that is a good fit for us and that gives us meaning and value, but then also as we grow, we can discover more and more fulfillment and value in providing meaning to those around us because of the things that we do to serve others. As we discover fulfillment in these foundational life areas, we discover hope for the future. And as we find these to be obstacles and we don't grow in these areas, we, we begin to lose hope. And we're frustrated in our search for fulfillment. And at Christmas time, we want to be reminded that it's not so much about our ability to, to, to be, make accomplishments in these areas, but it's that God comes through his son Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us, and he meets us in each of these places, and he helps us to shape a new perspective to find meaning and hope in all of those life searches in our lives. What has God designed me to do? What has God shaped me to to do that's uniquely mine? You see, I I think as we talked about last week, we are called to be imitators of God. And as we look to Scripture, we understand that that God is a God who is a worker. He is a worker God. If you go back to the story of the creation of the world, even in Genesis 2, God's creative activity in making the whole world is talked about as His work. 
In chapter 2, beginning verse 2 and looking at verse 3, he says, By the seventh day God had finished the work that he was doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And so we see that God himself is a worker. He is always active and working on our behalf and on behalf of his creation. And, and even though God rested on the seventh day, we also learn that, that God didn't stop working. Yeah, he rested as a way of showing us that it's important that we also rest, that we can't just work every day, all day, 24-7, seven days a week, and not take time to, to rest and to spend time with our family and to recuperate and to focus on our relationship with God. That the Sabbath was a gift that God gave to us to remind us that, yeah, even though God is a worker and he values work, we also need to rest. But Jesus said when he was teaching his disciples that even though God rested, God also continues to work. In John 15, or John 5, 7, if I can get there, I have too many notes. This. We're going we're gonna to look at a bunch of different scripture passages just to kind of set up an understanding of how God views work so that we can understand how we can view work in some new ways. John 5, 17 says, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and he said in his defense, because he was working on the Sabbath, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. You see, Jesus understood in his mind that, that his mission to, to earth was to come because he had work that God wanted him to do. And part of his calling was to do the work that God gave him. And, and as his father was working, he believed that his job was to be working as well. So like Jesus, we are called to be imitators of God and to be working also. And yet we also know that sin has crept into this world. And that if you go all the way back to the story of Adam and Eve in the original fall, we know that, that their work, which was intended to be a joy to care for, for the garden and the animals, became labor and, and that it would be difficult. And so even now we discover that even though we have a desire to find meaning and value in work, work can be drudgery and difficult and a challenge. And the author of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, who spent his life searching for answers in to, to meaning, talks about work in chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. He says, this is what I observed, have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in all their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, for this is their lot. Wow, that's joyful. <laughs> Solomon was a kind of a sour, dour guy. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, that's a key factor there, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. You see, God has given us work to do. He's given us the ability to go out and find meaningful employment and something to do that, that makes a contribution to the world. And even though it can be toilsome and difficult and feel like drudgery at times, we still find that there's a gift of, from God in there, that, that there is meaning that we can discover because there's value of what we're contributing to the lives of those around us if we have the perspective to understand that that's part of God's gift to us in work. All legitimate work is an extension of God's work of creation. 
get the connection between our work and what we do with our lives and how it contributes to God's greater work isn't always obvious. And I would suggest that in the church, especially because we've made such a a focus on religious work, that we've often lost an understanding of how all of our work has spiritual importance and value in our lives with God. And because of that, I think many of us have lost a sense of hope and meaning and value in the work that we do unless we feel like it's somehow church-related or religiously related. I mean, isn't God mostly concerned with religious pursuits? I mean, what if I'm a a cashier or a a data processor or I sit in a cherry picker all day fixing traffic lights? How is that spiritual? How is that valuable to God? I think we go back to some of the familiar teachings of Jesus and we look at God's heart and what it is that Jesus called us to do. And Jesus, in Matthew 22, in response to the question, what is the greatest commandment? Looking at verse 37 said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, these commandments are very familiar to us if you've been in the church for very long. Love God and love others. I mean, sometimes you can boil down the Christian life to those two simple statements. Love God and love others. And in that theology, if you, say, you can say it that way, Jesus is revealing to us that there's two relationship axes. There's a vertical relationship that we have with God, and that axis leads to a horizontal relationship with one another. And that if we truly love God, then that relationship will spill over and affect all of our horizontal relationships with other people in the world. And so at its core, Christianity is a a holistic theology. Our love of God is a part, is is lived out and expressed in all of our relationships with with other people, but in everything that we do. If, If God has created the whole world, then the whole world is his sanctuary. The the Bible says that that if we didn't come to church on Sunday morning and sing praises to God, the rocks and the hills and the trees themselves would cry out in worship to God because the world is his sanctuary. This is a, a, a creation that is designed to bring glory to God. And each of us, as part of that creation, also bring glory to God, not just on Sunday morning for an hour, but in every conversation that we have, in every little bit of work that we do all are brought into a spirituality of love of God and love of others. So the question really is, if we're going to understand how do we find spiritual value in our work, is to ask, what is it that God wants of us in our work? What does it mean for us to love God and love others in this way? And how does my work contribute to, the, to, to the God's creation in that way? Doug Sherman, who's a pastor, a former Navy aviator and trainer, uh, talks in a book that he wrote called Your Work Matters to God about a friend who had a business building pallets. I mean, what more humble job could you have than building pallets? And yet, if you think about what a pallet is used for, pallets are used in trucking and shipping to put 
food and products on it to ship them all over the country. So uh, a pallet that he made is used uh, to crate up citrus in Florida and, and, and put it on a truck. And it's used in Michigan to put boxes of cereal in a truck and, and, and ship them. And it's used to pick up milk from the dairy farm and, and ship it and, and meat. Uh, from the butcher shop, and, and all of that ends up in the grocery store where we go and we purchase it, and we, we go through the cashier line, and we uh, per- bring it home, and, and it ends up all on our breakfast table to serve us breakfast. And, and, and the humble palate serves each one of us uh, one of our most basic needs of food and nutrition. And as we begin to understand this, this elaborate network of, of relationship and partnership in the world and how God has designed this world so that we are all contributing, we, we can look even deeper to understand that, that behind that system of food delivery are, are farmers who are, are growing the food. And there are, there are farming manufacturers who are building the equipment that the farmers use to, to do the food. And there are bankers and investors who supply the resources and the money so that they can build the equipment so the farmers can grow the food so that the pallets can get the food to us. And you can begin to see how all of the things that we do are a part of, of one whole society that God has invited us to be a part of in this human family and in this world that he's created. Your work matters to God. In similar ways, God uses your work to help meet people's needs. Maybe we're just not paying attention to or valuing enough how your work contributes. Even if it's as humble as a pallet, your work has value in God's economy. But it's not just the utilitarian needs, but artists and creative types also contribute to the, the beauty and the wonder and, and to sparking our imaginations to see things in new ways. See, the real question is, is our perspective on our work and, and our motives when that we give to work because of sin and brokenness and because of a a, a world culture that says you got to be out for number one and you better grab it before somebody else gets it too often i think our motives for work become self-centered and egocentric and it's about trying to either gain glory or riches for ourselves and we don't have a, a godly perspective on how all the things that we give to society are for a greater purpose If we in our jobs are only out for our own ego or our own comfort, then we need to begin to examine ourselves and our motives and understand that maybe there's another way to look at the work that God has invited us to do. You see, the problem with sin is that the Bible says it separates us from God. When, when we allow uh, unhealthy and sinful motives to creep into our lives and into our hearts and into our minds, we pursue wrong, or we can pursue right things for wrong motives. And then that separates us from the heart of God and the mind of God. And then we lose the meaning and the value that God had originally intended in things that were supposed to be good, but because of sin, they've become twisted and they can be used for evil purposes. But you see, the good news is that because we have a relationship with Christ, and if we come into Christ and we have a new identity that's formed in Him, He brings our work back into right relationship with God as well, by changing the worker first. See, if the worker is changed, then the work that the worker does is change because that vertical relationship flows outward into all that we say and all that we do in our lives. As our identity is restored and renewed in Christ and we see that we are a valuable artwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance for us to do, 
We begin to see and, and think about how we work in new ways. Our attitude and our character and our behavior begins to change as a result of our relationship with God and Jesus. It can even change the kind of work that we choose to do. In effect, you could say that when you become a Christian, Jesus becomes your boss. And if Jesus is your boss, it changes the way you do your work. Paul in Colossians 3, 22 through 24, was trying to encourage some of the new Christians to understand this new reality that they were born into. And these people were not Justin Bieber's and Katy Perry's. These were not kings and queens. These were slaves in the Roman Empire. And they were wondering, what is our value? What is our worth? What should we do in this position that we find ourselves in when when we're told that we have freedom in Christ, and yet here we are slaves to other people? So in Colossians 3, 22 through 24, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You see, this is a a whole revolutionary way of thinking about work in our society. And I think too often we have lost the understanding that everything that we do in our 24-7, six-day-a-week lives outside of Sunday morning is all for God. If we are truly followers of Jesus, disciples of the Master, then He is really your boss. So whether your boss in your workplace is looking at you or not, God knows what you're doing, and He will reward you for your faithfulness and your commitment to serving Him. See, Paul addressed these low estate members of his culture and told them that when they are working for their slave owners, they still can be working for God and they can have meaning and value in that work even if their masters are unhealthy, sinful, and not doing their work from right motives. Every daily task, whether menial or even disgusting, can be done to God and for God. And that makes your work a very practical way of loving God. I remember when I was uh, a young college student, it was my last senior year of college at Arizona State University and America West Airlines in Phoenix was kind of the burgeoning industry in in Phoenix. They were developing a hub there and I got a job as a ramp agent on the ramp and I'm thinking, ooh, this is a pretty cool job. You know, I'm working for the airline, I can fly anywhere they want to go. Well, I got trash duty one day and I found out that uh, the trash that comes off of airplanes... It ain't pretty. (laughs) Think of all the beverages that people drink and the coffee and the alcohol and the stuff that people throw away, and it all gets collected into a trash bag, and then all those trash bags get collected off the planes as they come through, and they get loaded onto a cart, and then Kurt has to hook up his little wagon to the cart and haul it off to the, the, uh, the dumpster, and throw it all away. Well, the only way to throw away a trash bag into a dumpster is to throw it up and over, right? Well, you have these soggy, wet, heavy bags filled with this dripping, oozing, putrid, right? 
and, and you, you have to kind of swing it and haul it up over it to get it into the dumpster, it gets all over you. And I can tell you, I was sitting out there in the dark, on the ramp, in Phoenix, 110 degrees, covered with putrid yuck, hauling these bags and going, what am I doing here? I don't want to do this job. Why do I want to do this? And I feel like God met me in that moment, and he said two things to me. The first thing he said was a question. He said, if not you, who? If not you, who? You going to wish this on somebody else? And the second thing he said is, do it for me. Just do it for me. And I thought, okay, I can do that. In an instant, God changed my perspective on my work. And that even though I was asked to do this disgusting, menial task, and I was out there you know, in the middle of nowhere on this ramp, and nobody's watching me going, hey, great job, Kurt, you're doing good. I'm all by myself throwing this trash. God says, I can do it for him. And I can tell you, the lightness in my spirit and the joy that I had throwing that trash was amazing because I knew somebody had to do it. And I was offering a service to all my colleagues who didn't have to do it. <laughs> and God was smiling on me. And that gave meaning and value to my life, even if nobody else ever knew. And that kind of opportunity is available to all of us in so many ways. If not you, who? And whatever you're asked to do or called to do, whether it's for, for great and grandiose purposes or if it's a, a menial task that nobody's ever going to know that you did it, do it for me, God says. Do it for me. And you will have a reward in heaven. And, and ladies and gentlemen, I believe that heavenly reward is not just for someday when we get to heaven. I think that reward is available to us now when God says, well done, good and faithful servant, in the moment. Yes, there, the reward is going to be there when we get to heaven as well. But even now, we find the reward of meaning and value and a sense of deep purpose to everything we do today. And as a result of that, it's through our relationship with God that we find fulfillment in all of those horizontal relationships and activities that we pursue in this life. Examining our work in this way leads us to desire to grow and change our attitudes and our character and our behavior. And out of that, we discover whole new ways of living life together as community. I don't care if you're a land developer and you're building grocery stores to feed people, or if you're a student who's struggling to do homework every night in the midst of, you know, movies and video games and Christmas break coming. Every little thing that we dedicate ourselves to do, we can do unto the Lord. And as we do that, we find new, new inspiration to do it well and to give it our all and to be the best that we can be. And as we do that, I believe we will discover more and more that, that we have the ability to come alongside one another and to encourage us to grow into ama amazing new ways. And I think that leads us to an understanding of how do we do church in a way that allows all of us to understand that we have a calling from God. That, that you are called just as much as I am called 
and just as much as the next person is called. The calling is to do everything as unto the Lord, and out of that we discover meaning and purpose and value, and I believe that God will, will under, help us to understand how he brings all of our life experiences and all of our skills and all of our abilities together to be something that's amazing for him. If, if we think about it in this term, these terms, you, you, you can begin to understand that Faith Covenant Church doesn't just have a children's ministry, in a, a youth ministry, an adult education program, a Sunday morning worship team, and kind of a local outreach uh, mission thing, and a missions ministry. That's, that's kind of, you can break down most church ministries into about five or six, maybe seven categories like that. But if you think about it in this new perspective of God's perspective, Faith Covenant Church is, it has, is engineering airplanes at Boeing. Faith Covenant Church is teaching in our schools. Faith Covenant Church is designing software and, and, and delivering medication and, and, and filming films. I, you know, what is it that you do? You are Faith Covenant Church. And, and as a result, everything that you do is a ministry, because that's what ministry is, right? Service. It's a service that hopefully brings value to other people in the world. And as you do that, you are a part of what the church is supposed to be. If we can turn that on its head and think about the church is intended to be a resource for the ministries of its people, rather than the people being human resources in service to the ministries of the church, that gives us a whole new way to think about what God might be calling us to do as a faith community and where he's calling us to serve in our community. That blows my mind. I can't even begin to imagine the kinds of things that God could do through a faith community that is preparing, training, and resourcing their people for full-time ministry out there in the world. But you guys are in full-time ministry already. We just don't realize it. And so we're not preparing and working together and training one another to do that well. But I think in the season ahead, God is going to give us each a new sense of hope and value for what we do because he is going to unite us as a faith community to help one another do that in new and powerful ways. Because of the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, we have a hope that is an anchor for the soul, we've said, Hebrews 6, 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. So no matter what your experience of work has been, whether, whether you had many dreams that, that became, never were realized, whether you feel like you're stuck in a menial job that has no meaning or value, whether, whether you're a kid and you don't know what you want to be when you grow up, all of that can find new purpose and value in God as we find our identity in Christ and step out in hope that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have reason to go to work with a sense of purpose and freedom and joy. We discover fulfillment and hope in serving Christ through everything that we do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you and we praise you that you are a God who is always, every day, at work on our behalf. God, would you help us to check our attitudes and to explore those ways that maybe we have separated our work from your work and open our hearts to see you in new ways in the midst of the things that you have called us to be and to do. And God, we will praise you and hopefully bring glory to you by everything 
that we get our, set our hearts and our minds and our hands and our feet to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.